The Mets dropped two of three to the Braves over the weekend, and their playoff hopes are on life support. We look ahead to the final week of the regular season and what the Mets would need to do to sneak into that final playoff spot. Well, Figgy, it's going to take a miracle, but it's 2020, so anything could happen, right? Yeah, but if you haven't noticed, it's all been bad. All that and more next up on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. That's the voice of former Met Nelson Figueroa. I'm his co-host, Jake Brown. Stop what you're doing right now. Go into Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. If you don't use Apple Podcasts, Please subscribe to us on Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. We have appreciated your support throughout the season, and hopefully we'll be back next year. Yeah, and it's been a season that's flown by. We'll go guest-free today. You get to hear us for the full show. The Mets, they are on life support. I feel like I am on life support right now. I'm trying to podcast Jets, Giants, Mets, all back to back to back, kind of like the home runs given up the other night by uh, Seth Lugo. But I am trying to survive here, and so are the Mets. And Figgy, oh, what are you going to do? They lose two out of three over the weekend to the Braves. The Braves are just the better team. You knew this was going to be a tough series, and they're now 24-29. and 29. They got seven games to go, three against the Rays at City Field, four in D.C. against the Nationals, and it's pretty much this. You got to go 7-0, and oh, and that's, we think, to be a lock. It depends on other teams losing, but 7-0 and likely gets you in. So the Mets have to go undefeated, Figgy, and if they don't, they will not be in this expanded playoff. Yeah, well, it's not impossible. Um, it is very improbable with the Tampa Bay Rays playing the best baseball in all of baseball, other than the White Sox, actually. The White Sox have been tearing it up. Um, and the Yankees, of course, winning uh, 10 of 11. You know, it, it really stinks to be a Yankee fan. Anyway, thinking about all the positives uh, in Mets land, of course, the way that they've been hitting the ball has been outstanding. Timely hitting today was not, of course, there, but yesterday's game was exciting to see what they were able to do and, and tack on later on and be able to win that ball game the way they did. Uh, Seth Lugo didn't have it. And then Steven Matz, of course, uh, we watched that fiasco with him going back out there and just still lost. Uh, I mean, a, an absolute lost season for a guy like Steven Matz. Lugo finally has that one bad game at the wrong time. Porcello pitched outstanding today, just got outpitched uh, right from the very beginning. Um, so it was uh, unfortunate for the starting pitchers, of course. And then the relievers, I don't know. I, I'm still really, really down on Ramos. Everything about him is just a lackadaisical game, game calling. You know Travis Darno is coming up in this big moment right now, and he's been as hot as anybody, killing the Mets. Absolutely killing the Mets. No, he's not killing the Mets. Let's get it straight. He's killing Brody Van Wagenen single-handedly for releasing him after 23 at-bats. And so he's put that chip on his shoulder for the rest of his career, and rightfully so. And you kind of root for him in a way, but not when it's at the expense of your team trying to make the playoffs. So watching him come up to bat, knowing that there was first base open, I understand don't walk him because what happens if you walk him and he walks the next batter? I'm not even worried about him walking the next batter. Against Adam Duvall, 0 for 6 lifetime with three Ks. You saw what he did to Duvall, sinker in, ground ball to short. Travis has just been unbelievably hot. He knows Familia better than anybody else. First pitch sinker, 
he inside outs it, gets down on the ball, hits it the other way for a double and clears the bases. That's that's exactly what you expect in that situation. You knew him being up there was going to be just a recipe for disaster. And Ramos goes with a first pitch fastball of all things, as if Travis isn't looking to really drive the nail in the coffin on that first pitch fastball. Disappointing. And even to throw home where it was a play at the plate and Ramos, you know, for the third time this year, kind of just let a guy turnstile him and instead of being aggressive on the tag and trying to keep him from scoring. He just, you know, let another run in. So a disappointing Weekend to be for sure. Got Jacob DeGrom going tomorrow and the daunting task of taking three from the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, although improbable, has to start out with the uh, best pitcher in baseball, and that's Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, and I just don't think 30 wins will get you in. And a big reason for that, Figgy, is that the the Brewers and Reds, who are both 500 and kind of tied up for that last playoff spot, they play each other. And then the Cardinals, who are in that race as well, the Cardinals and the Brewers have a five-game series to close the season. So in some ways, it helps the Mets that one of the teams, you know, in those matchups are going to lose. And the other way, it doesn't because someone's got to win. And the Cardinals are two games over. So they could be in the picture if the Brewers end up spanking them, but then the Brewers are take their spot. So it's kind of a flip-flop where the four teams in the Central have a chance to get it. And the Phillies here coming up, they face four at the Nats, three at the Rays. So and you don't even know. The Rays, if they're already locked in, who knows if they're trying those last three games. Because remember, the strategy changes because there is no home field. It's If you have your seed, you're locked in, you play who you play. There's no such thing as, oh, home field of the World Series, home field of this. They're at neutral sites. So that may affect teams might play, you know, guys who wouldn't usually be on the playoff roster in those final games if they have a spot. So that could hurt the Mets as well. It's going to take quite the miracle. And, you know, I said a week ago, I got pumped up after that win and said they'll make it. It's not going to happen. You know, <laughs> you go 7-0, and you might make it. But what has this team showed us? They have not shown us that they can go 7-0. and They've consistently nah. struggled pitching. When they get good pitching, they don't get hitting. I mean, Rick Porcello was great, and they couldn't hit a lick today. They score, and they don't pitch. So it goes both both ways and it's you know it's tough to watch some of the base running mistakes you talk about Ramos was bad I mean it got to the point where Todd Frazier struck out Adam Duvall with a 55 mile hour knuckleball <laughs> and that was the highlight of the weekend so yeah. uh you know that's frustrating and then in very Mets fashion the season literally went up in smoke there was some kind of black smoke in the air at City Field I don't know how there's no vendors there's no fans no, I don't know it if was behind the stadium it was actually over by the tires oh, of course and the, uh, chop shops it's chop shops across the street that's that's exactly where you know you know you've been around that area so that's where the smoke the fire was coming from and they put it out but it was too late for the Mets you know they tried to start a rally I guess but that didn't work for them again uh the hitting Timely hitting is what it all comes down to. It's great to pound a team 18, you know, score 18 runs. That's all fun and games, but it's a timely hitting. And and guys have kind of gone by the wayside. You know, a guy like Conforto, who we were just praising for his tenacious at-bats and really turned the corner, he's kind of disappeared over the past week. Pete Alonso, same thing. He came, he went into the, to the week, what, having home runs in four straight games, five straight games. Uh, McNeil, same thing. You were like, all right, everybody's clicking on all cylinders. Then a screeching halt hit. They just have not been the same since. Uh, it's been disappointing to say the least because on paper, the team has led baseball in all of hitting and several statistical categories, been in top five. And that's something that we didn't think they would do. We thought it was a pretty good offense on paper. 
especially if it was the full roster and not being the full roster. Some guys took advantage of it and, and got an opportunity to play like a Dom Smith and you rooted for him the whole time. And, you know, J.D. Davis, you expected it to be a, another continuation of his breakout year last year, especially the numbers we put up at City Field. And it just wasn't meant to be. You saw McNeil get back on track. Alonzo struggled other than the home run ball. And it just never felt like a team that was so cohesive that, that they were going to make that run. You know, even if it was such a small run as five games in a row. And that's something that, you know, any good team has to be able to string together five wins, uh, some way, shape, and form. You see the Yankees put together a 10-game winning streak. You've seen some of the other teams that are vying for the playoffs putting together, you know, nearly double-digit winning streaks. And um, the Mets just were never able to do that. If they could get three in a row, you really felt like, okay, now they can go and then bam. The next day starter would, you know, give up seven, eight runs early on and they were behind the eight ball. So it's definitely been a huge disappointment. I'm expecting, you know, when new ownership comes in, there's going to be some big changes as far as what they're going to go out there and get and and what kind of personnel they're going to bring in here. Because uh, I think it's not even just necessarily a culture change inside that clubhouse. I think they're confident. It's just on the field. It just looks like there's some lacks of days ago play there's not enough of the fundamentals of baseball that that seem to be uh really missing in their game and and it kind of goes dark in the worst of moments when you need just a, a regular play to, to get them out of an inning yeah it, it is um it is bleak as can be right now figgy uh for the mets and it's pretty fitting that the season comes down to jacob de monday night i mean if they want to go on this miracle run it starts with your ace monday night you know, they said he's he's good to go. He's going to get two more starts. But, you know, he's got to face a team in the Rays who is known for their starting pitching. And, you know, Monday, it'll be DeGrom versus Fairbanks. Fairbanks has been great for the Rays this year. Tuesday, it's going to be Blake Snell versus Seth Lugo. Blake Snell is, you know, a Cy Young candidate. He was last year. And then Wednesday, they'll wrap up the series against the Rays, and it'll be Tyler Glass now. So, I mean, you're facing three great pitchers, Figgy, and it, it, it's, it's not really, even the starters. It's, it's not dream. even the starters, Jake. It's not even the starters when it comes to Tampa Bay. It's the 10 relievers that they carry that are just one nasty pitcher after another. It looks like they're throwing blitz balls at 98 miles an hour. Balls are moving all over the place, unnatural movement. They've got a guy who throws a change up 98% of the times and it's unhittable. A guy who throws a, you know, a 100 mile an hour sinker, that's unhittable. And they just keep coming at you nonstop. And it's just, that's been the, the Rays attitude over the last three seasons. That's why they were easy, easily my pick this year to really be the team that kind of maybe takes advantage of the whole COVID situation and only a 60 game sprint. Um, And they have not disappointed. Yeah. And they're two and a half back of the Reds and just too many teams going up against each other. So, you know, if you look ahead, the Reds three, three versus the Brewers, three at the twins, six tough games. So, you know, there's a chance the giants, they have eight games left four versus the Rockies four at the Padres. Again, eight pretty tough games. The Padres are a World Series contender, and the Rockies, you know, they'll be trying to play spoiler. They have had a terrible stretch recently, but they were in the race. The Brewers, they have eight games left. They have three at the Reds, five at the Cardinals. So, again, those are the kind of beating each other up teams. The Cardinals, they have the Royals for three games, and then the big five. It's really going to come down to this. If the Mets somehow sweep the Rays, I don't think they will. But if we come here on Thursday's show and the Mets swept the Rays, it would come down to that Brewers-Cardinals five-game series 
essentially. There's just too many teams ahead. That's the big issue for the Mets. And then the Phillies have four at the Nats, three at the Rays. There's just too many moving parts that even when you look at 31 and 29, that's not a lock. I just don't think 500 is going to do it. And if it does, that still means you have to go six and one. So that means you can afford a loss of the Rays and then have to sweep the Nats all four. Or you could afford a loss of the Nats and you got to sweep the Rays. It's just, it's asking for a lot for a team that has not shown us anything past a two-game win streak. They'll win two in a row, and then they fall back to earth like they did on Friday. So you went into the weekend thinking, you know what, maybe this team could pull it off. Eight and two, it's not impossible. You were part of a team that blew it in 2008, 2007-2008, a Mets team that kind of collapsed down the stretch. We've seen teams collapse. But, you know, this this is past a collapse. This would take just, an, you know, this would take you winning mega millions for the Mets to hit it. But, hey, like we said in the open, Figgy, it's 2020. There's been some every day something new is thrown at you that you never expected. So, who knows, maybe we're here Thursday and we're talking about meaningful final games. But, you know, I think by Thursday we could be uh, packing it in and talking about Steve Cohen's reign. Yeah, really, like I said, unfortunate. You, there was so much promise early on with this team. They've, they've gone through a lot. I mean, you have to realize how much they've gone through with people opting out that were supposed to be big parts of this team. And they still, you know, they, they bowed through. The starting rotation decimated absolutely decimated there's no way you can sit here and go oh they should have been able to compete it just it just wasn't happening it was so weird to watch every other team that had these issues find a way to get it done Uh, the marlins in particular the marlins they were bringing up guys from a ball i mean non-stop there were nine pitchers nine starters in nine days i remember when the mets played them uh, you know early on in the season and you were like how is this even possible that that it's not just competing they were doing well because there were no expectations of them when there's no expectations, there's no pressure, there's no disappointments. It was like, you know, let's ride this wave. And you watch the Marlins just kind of doing that for so long through the season. And of course, you know, you have the teams that rise to the top, but in 60 games, man, you've got to find a way to ride a wave like that and, and take advantage of it and not sit back on excuses. You talk about the 2008 team. I remember we were sitting there thinking, okay, you know, we'll start making our plans for the playoffs. We're going to have to go to Chicago and we'll, we'll start figuring out the rooming list and 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 how quick we can get uh, into the city and do all these. We had it all kind of planned out and it just wasn't going to happen. And, and to lose to the Marlins uh, two out of those last three games, uh, it was just, uh, we didn't see it coming. I mean, you, you were like, all we got to do is win one game out of the last seven it was like you know just win, just win that one game just win that one game we had the walk off on that thursday uh, but other than that it was unreal to watch it just go by the wayside we lost the last two in atlanta and then came home lost the first one in chicago and thought we were still in good shape and you realize looking across baseball on the map of baseball you had cc sabathia single-handedly carrying the brewers into the playoffs and taking our spot uh, single-handedly. That was the most one of the most unbelievable runs I had ever seen because the guy was just going out there complete game after complete game, uh, pitching for that big contract, and it worked out for him. It worked out fully for him. But I remember sitting there as we were going to close down Shea Stadium and just bewilderment, like that just really happened. There, there is no playoffs now. We're out. We, we and we had no one to blame but ourselves. We just could not win one more game when we needed to. You know, this team just never got on a roll. So it's, it's a very different feeling. It's just a much different feeling when it's 16 teams making it and you couldn't have been one of the best 16 teams in baseball when you're hitting 
is number one in all of baseball. Uh, so that's a huge disappointment because the pitching staff was supposed to be the, between the starters and the the newly vamped bullpen that was supposed to carry you. Just, you know, really disappointing all the way around. Hopefully Jacob DeGrom can be lights out in his last two starts and, you know, make a push for his third Cy Young. Even that looks like it's uh, fallen by the wayside just because of that, that little uh, speed bump he took the other day in Philadelphia. So, I mean, it's been a hard season. It's been a hard season. There's been some bright spots and we'll talk about that i'm sure on the last show but yeah you're looking at having to win out to even have any possibility i gotta say you've said by the wayside enough that i would think you're bradley cooper and a star is born i don't know if you <laughs> if you know the opening scene for that movie have you seen a star is born i have yeah and he's by the wayside and you do have kind of a bradley cooper mini beard yours has a little more grays in it but you got the you got similar beards get painted Come on now. He doesn't have the stress that I have going, <laughs> being being a Mets analyst. Yeah, no, be, working with me, that is a lot of stress. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, by the wayside, great great soundtrack, uh, Star is Born, which I saw a few times. I didn't realize when I saw it that there was a version years and years ago. I guess, who is it? Bar- oh, my God. Barbara you know I didn't Barbara know when Stryson. I saw it. I knew afterwards. People yeah. tell me, but I didn't uh, do my research, so I didn't know about the uh, Barbara It wasn't hard research. Everything that's uh, <laughs> new was old again. That, that's just the way it is. Every 23 years, they're going to remake every single movie if they can. There's not too many, there's not too many original ideas uh, out there, so uh, it was a good movie. Um, Lady Gaga was unbelievable in it, so uh, that was... Uh, one of the positives of this season, I got to see that during the season with all the downtime with COVID. Well, we got to talk movies because the off season is coming here. So we got to talk <laughs> about things that are going to occupy our evenings uh, that are, you know, G and PG rated here on this show. <laughs> because, you know, our nightly tradition of turning it to SNY. How does the music go? Do you you still never performed your part of the talent show. So if you want to hum the SNY theme music. Uh, you're welcome. Listen, to ju- ju- juggling our hopes every week is enough of a talent show in itself. So that, that's been that's been my contribution thus far. And uh, I'm usually the guy with the silver lining. I don't know if there's a silver lining. It, it never came to fruition this year where they could put together that bigger winning streak. And that, uh, you know, just that kind of a winning streak also puts you in that mindset that you're only one win away from sparking that again you know what i'm saying so those losing streaks become shorter and shorter we just never saw that but again we'll go over in the final show but all the uh pluses looking forward to uh 2021 including a new owner yeah and we'll have a lot of off-season news and we don't know yet the schedule once the season ends what what's going to happen with the show but when things happen there will be shows so we expect the mets to make moves and you know, interesting report, Figgy, that came out, you know, Sunday is that Sandy Alderson is likely to return the Mets in some role once the new ownership transition happens. What do you think about that? Obviously, he's probably not going to be the GM, but maybe something like president of baseball operations. Do you like Sandy and do you like him coming back to this team or would you rather Cohen kind of have a fresh start with new guys? I've always liked Sandy. I thought Sandy was really good. He's, uh, you know, a good mix of the new school analytics, but the old school scouting and, and just that gut feel um, for personnel. That was something that Sandy was was really good with. I, I just don't know. Because remember, Sandy was leaving because of health concerns. And with everything that's going on in the world, health concerns are number one. So bringing him back in the mix, I don't think it's going to be that big of a role 
where he's going to have to be, you know, 12 hours on his feet at the ballpark. I don't think people understand that. Like GMs and assistant GMs, they don't just show up to the game. They're at the ballpark 9 a.m. And remember, the game doesn't end to 11. You know, those are 12, 13 hour days um, where they're at the ballpark and they're trying to do everything every single day to try and make this team better, whether it's turning over every stone on, you know, a lineup that they want to put out there and, and put in front of the manager before they, they have to turn it into the office or whether it's, you know, acquisitions, whether it's who to call up, who to demote, all those different things. These guys put in hours and hours of work. And I don't know if Sandy has that in him right now. It's great to see whatever role he's going to bring, because, again, you want to have enough people in that cabinet, whoever's going to be the team president, the GM, whatever, in that next step for uh, Steve Cohen um, to really figure out how to mold this team. So you want some somebody who knows what's been going on for the past few years on the inside, because as a fan, Steve Cohen knows what's going on or who, who's been doing what. But on what's happening on the day to day operations uh, the New York Mets, you know, uh, Sandy is definitely a guy I think Cohen will feel comfortable with. The interesting name they got to think about that, you know, I, th- I believe Joel Sherman did a piece about it. If he becomes available, how do you say no to Theo Epstein as GM? I mean, what Theo Epstein did with the Red Sox, what he did with the Cubs, if they could find a way to get Theo Epstein, Figgy, I think that is an absolute no-brainer. I would do whatever it takes If he can pull that off, because uh, let's be real, I think it would be a shock to all of us if Brody Van Wagen is back next year. If I'm calling, you look at what he's done to the future of this team with trading prospects, with trading pitching away and, you know, everything that's gone wrong. And now your starting pitching is going to be depleted next year, especially with Steven Matt's incompetence. I mean, you look at the rotation next year, it's DeGrom. Syndergaard off Tommy John and then Peterson. And then after that, you really get maybe Lugo, but you got to go out and get a starter too. I think Theo Epstein should be the guy if they could pull it off. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a name that jumps off the page at you, right? And so you think the biggest acquisition for Cohen coming in is going to maybe be that GM. And he, this is a guy who, listen, when he was the Reds, with the Red Sox, they basically gave him a blank check and said, hey, do whatever it's going to take to make this thing happen. And he was able to make it happen pretty quick. When you look at the other things that he was able to do, like with the Cubs, going over to the Cubs, they ran into a lot of young talent at the time. And all he did was, again, fill in the pieces with some veteran leadership, right? So you went and got John Lester, you got David Ross, you got all these veteran guys who this is probably their swan song. This is going to be their one shot. And they look around the clubhouse and they see the young talent that's around the team of the Cubs and they realize, you know, what their role is. Um, That's something that Theo has been able to do already on two occasions. So to see where he's going to go next and what he's going to be able to do, you talk about some hard decisions, but he has traded away some popular players to get younger players. And it it wasn't exactly a, a, a splash hit and they won right away. It took him a little bit uh, to, to get it right, but all's well that ends well, right? You went win a World Series championship and everybody thinks, you know, you're absolutely great at this. He's done it twice now. So I, I think he has to be at the top of the list when it comes to free agent acquisitions if you're not going to stay the course with Brody. Epstein is owed about $10 million next year. And, you know, he's still with the Cubs. He's in year nine. It'd be shocking to see him leave the Cubs, especially when they're still in pretty darn good hands. Another name, could be, you know, Mark Chernoff from WFAN. His son with the Indians, Mike Chernoff, could be an option as well. So, listen, it's uh, it's going to be – we're going to have a lot of news in the offseason, and hopefully part of that news is JT Realmuto. Hopefully part of that news is a new GM. Hopefully part of that news is a new manager. I know in the last show we ripped Andy Martino to shreds for his piece on Luis Rojas should be here for years. 
But, you know, we saw more. We see almost every game moves from Rojas that make you scratch your head. You know, I, I just can't see him back next year. I, I know you're indifferent on Luis Rojas. You know, gun to your head now. Do you think he is back next year? I don't know who else is out there. Uh, honestly, if you got to grade the landscape of who's the managers available, that's that's the biggest thing that, that comes to mind. Yes, there, there's been some moments and times where, you, uh, like I said, over a 60-game season, five mistakes is huge. Um, but over the course of 162, it's not that bad. I think learning a lot and going over over and over this offseason about those different moves and what could have been done. It's it's difficult to go on, the, on camera after games are over, 30 seconds after the game is over, and really just tell everyone how you feel. You're trying to kind of hold back until you can really go through all the nuts and bolts of everything. And, you know, there are times I'm sure he's sitting in that office and saying to himself, damn, I should have tried this. I should have done that. I should have, you know, went with my gut. How many times have we said, look at Peterson uh, yesterday, right? 10 strikeouts. He has 10 strikeouts, 102 pitches. Meanwhile, the week before he could only go 90. So that's another situation there where he went with his gut and said, hey, I'm pushing him, right? Who knows? He might have one more start left here at the end of the season, but they needed him and he was pitching so well. It's not always... It's easy whenever a guy's cruising like that, right? And he's just striking everybody out. It makes it easy to be like, oh, I left him in. And if he gives it up, oh, well, you know, he ran out of gas. I think it's the times that it wasn't that he was struggling. He righted the ship after giving up only a two-run home run. That was his only mistake. And he, you know, threw that 10-pitch inning, and all you needed was one more of those out of him where you needed to kind of see what this kid had. And I love what I've seen out of Peterson, even in that instance. And you look at going forward, is he a piece? Yeah, I would love to have him as a number five starter. I have utmost confidence of him as a number five starter every single time out there. Um, is he going to take his lumps? Sure. But I haven't seen Matt's being anywhere close, anywhere close to what this rookie starter showing, being able to fight through not having all three pitches working. Um, it, it's it's sad to see what Matt's has become because the talent is, you know, he's throwing the ball hard. I think that's what it comes down to when it comes to talent. He's not able to mix up pitches. He's not able to surprise anybody. They know his two-pitch combinations almost in their sleep, and, they, and they're swinging the bats like that. So it's it's sad to see what has become of the five aces, if you will, when uh, the only one left standing uh, holding up his end of the bargain is Jacob deGrom and, I mean, Zach Wheeler with another team, of course. But all, all those last three guys, it's just been, you know, it's been not enough. It reminds me a lot more of Generation K than it does of five aces. Yeah, and it's scary to think all the pitching that's been traded away as well. I mean, you look at the top prospects, they're gone. I mean, Simeon Woods-Richardson, gone. K, gone. There's just been so much, you know, even the guy they just traded for. And listen, if I got to see Miguel Castro for a couple more years, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to jump off a cliff. I, I can't watch him anymore. He's terrible. He always puts guys on. I get he's got an ice fastball. He can reach 100 miles an hour. Cool. That's fun. But he stinks, and I know he's under team control, but, you know, I hope one of Cohen's move is getting this guy out of here. Enough of the guy, like Familia Diaz, these guys who put you in cardiac arrest, Miguel Castro is that, but he never gets out. I mean, I can't watch him anymore, and I thought that trade made zero sense. So, you know, I'm already dying here. As you, It sounds like I'm Squidward. Hey, Hey, SpongeBob, how are you today? Uh, the New York Mets have seven games remaining, and uh, they look to Jacob DeGrom to take the hill on Monday night, and DeGrom will make two starts the rest of the way. 
Um, yeah, so SpongeBob SquarePants over here. Well, look at listen. Listen to this though. When when you talk about Theo Epstein and what he was able to do, right? It, that started in 2011. So in 2011, he gets a five year contract, which again, I, I do not believe Brody has a five year contract. I'm pretty sure it was a three year contract. The the Cubs lost 101 games right away. In five years, only two players that were on that original roster at that time were Anthony Rizzo and Travis Wood. That was it. They revamped the whole roster. And with all the moves that he made, let's listen, 140 players, 37 trades, 80 signings, and 85 departures in those five years to get them to be a World Series champion. So that's a lot of work and moving pieces. It's not that simple of a just plug and play because – Remember, it wasn't like the Cubs had a, a, a terrible organization and terrible players played for the Cubs. They just never could find a way to put it together. And to rip it all down, the four previous years, you know, they got to the NLCS against the against the DS, I should say, against the um, Mets, and they got swept. But the next year they go to the World Series and they're able to turn the corner. And that's great. But man, it's, uh, it's, it's not that simple to go and do it. And we don't know which way Cohen wants to go. We don't know which way a new GM would want to go. We know where Brody has in place. We see that young hitters, the young everyday starters that are in place, and they've done a nice job for the most part, for the most part. There's been some guys that have, you know, Rosario has fallen off mightily. You don't know what you can get back in a return for him, but you are very worried about this pitching staff and, and what they're going to have to do to be competitive in this division next year. Cause I don't think this division isn't getting any worse come next year because you have all these good teams and you have all these young pet talented lineups. And at the same time, they're going to spend money as well. So we have an owner next year that seems to have an unlimited checkbook. It's going to be tested very early. Yeah. And even Miami who we thought, you know, wouldn't do anything. They've been interesting, which scares you down the road considering listen the nationals they're not going to be this bad next year they had a lot of injuries this is a weird year remember they had that record similar what they have now last year and won the world series so i think over the course of a long season the nationals are going to be fine this could end up being a five horse race not that the marlins will be as interesting but listen they have some young hitters they have some young pitching where they're not going to be a shoe in you know victories next year as you saw against the mets this year so you're right. The NL East is going to be tough, and you know Cohen's got a lot of work to do to that pitching staff. You know, as we get close to the off season, we do have the core young pieces in place, and Pete Alonso improving next year. He has he's just been awful this year, and he's had some big hits, but you know he hasn't looked like his usual self. He's trying to hit a home homer almost every time. A lot of pop outs, a lot of fly outs. You know, he's not doing things he was doing last year. So I think having a full off season and Getting these guys, you know, back in game shape and back in a normal routine uh, will be a big difference. Amazing but true. We will be back Thursday for the final show of the regular season. Monday, we will recap the season. You know, hopefully we're talking playoffs. You know, playoffs. You, you got Yeah, playoffs. You got to believe, I guess. <laughs> But, uh, you know, by th- by Thursday, <laughs> Nothing says 2020 more yeah. than you going. You got to believe, I guess. Yeah, you got to believe. I mean, Tuck McGraw is rolling in his grave right now. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Figgy, uh, final week of the season, man. Uh, do you remember, you know, you, you talked about your final week in 2008. You got to before we wrap up, since we would have a guest, do you have any good stories to tell us about a playoff push? Well, the only one that I can really speak of at the AAA level, um, when I first got over to the Philadelphia Phillies, I had gotten traded over in the Schilling deal, went over with the Phillies. And I'll never forget because we went on one of these ridiculous runs with like 10 games to play. I want to say we were out by like 
almost seven games. And we wound up sweeping the first place team in the last four games, all four games to tie with them. And what we did was we decided to um, forfeit the playoff game to see who would be the home team and have home field advantage. And the way it worked in the minors was you had two games on the road and then the last three were at home. That's what we did. We, we punted. We said, nope, we're going to take the, a forfeit instead of that. We have an off day after running through our last you know 10 games the way we did. And uh, we wound up winning in the first two games at home. We went over uh, to their ballpark against uh, was against Buffalo, and uh, we wound up beating them. And when we beat them, knocked them out the playoffs in those first three games, we wound up making it to the finals and all the way to the final game. And that was uh, that was some of the most exciting baseball that I had ever been a part of. Um, just we were just one literally last game. Our number one starting pitcher at the time balked in the go ahead run in like the sixth or seventh inning, and we never could score. Uh, we had Jimmy Rollins with the team that year. He wound up going to the big leagues right after the game. Um, and his career was, you know, put on the fast track, but um, it was exciting baseball. And again, one of those improbable um, things where it was like, Hey, let's just go out there and win a ball game. Hey, let's just go out there and win a ball. Next thing you know, we're on a roll. And um, it was like, it was like nothing I had ever seen, especially winning those last four against the first place team and uh, being able to knock them out of the playoffs quite quickly. Figgy's folklore weekly segment. <sighs> Oh, <laughs> uh, the the Taylor Swift Back in my day. The Taylor Swift fans are smiling at a folklore reference right now. Uh, <laughs> amazing but true. Jake Brown, Nelson Figaro. We'll bring the heat on Thursday, and we'll be joined by special guest Maggie Gray from WFAN as we get Maggie into the mix. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, but Figgy, good show, and uh, we'll talk Thursday. And that says night-night to episode 29, the Steve Traxel edition of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Everybody go (laughs) night-night. Thanks to you, Jake, for producing the show. Subscribe to Amazing But True wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars and write a nice review. We appreciate your support. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm going night-night after I take NyQuil. I'm Jake Brown. We return on Thursday for our final episode of the regular season. Can you believe it? To preview the final series. Man, did that fly by. We'll talk to you then. Stay safe.